I'm Dr. Regina Kep. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist, and I specialize with older adults and families. I created the Psychology of Aging podcast to dispel myths about aging, destigmatize mental health for older adults, and improve access to mental health care. Whether you're an older adult, a family member caring for an older adult, or a professional working with older adults, you're in the right place. And one more thing. If you're a licensed mental health provider like a social worker, psychologist, counselor, therapist, or an aging life care expert or certified care manager looking for continuing education focused on mental health and aging, simply go to mentalhealthandaging.com to learn more about how to earn your CEUs. All right, let's jump into today's episode. We know in the past few years with the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been unprecedented levels of stress in the United States. We also know that stress directly impacts mental and physical health. And one of those physical health concerns being heart disease. According to the American Heart Association, 50%, that's five zero, fifty 50% of Americans are living with high blood pressure. With the combination of high levels of stress and high percentages of people living with high blood pressure, it is critical that we have tools to help people living with high blood pressure, heart disease, and all sorts of cardiovascular health needs. So today I'm delighted to bring you a 60-minute continuing education episode on biofeedback therapy for cardiovascular health with Dr. Maggie Johnson. Before I tell you about today's guest, Dr. Maggie Johnson, I want to just uh, exercise a word of caution here. In this episode, Dr. Johnson walks us through an exercise. It's kind of a mindfulness exercise, but I would encourage you to only participate in this exercise if you are in a place that is safe and secure and where you're not operating a vehicle or heavy machinery or anything that could injure somebody if if you're not careful, including yourself. So um, just just use caution when engaging in the exercise. If you aren't able to do the exercise because you're driving or whatever else, come back to the episode and do it. It's a really wonderful experience. All right, now let me tell you about today's guest, Dr. Maggie Johnson. Dr. Maggie Johnson is a clinical psychologist at the Western North Carolina VA Healthcare System where she provides behavioral health interventions to veterans coping with chronic health conditions, chronic pain, depression, PTSD, and anxiety disorders. She specializes in health psychology and complementary and alternative medicine. Previously at the Atlanta VA Medical Center, she worked in a health psychology clinic and participated as a health coach in their home-based cardiac rehabilitation program, where she assisted veterans in managing their risk factors for heart disease. She also helped them make lifestyle changes and manage their stress. She's presented at regional and national conferences on topics of health psychology and biofeedback and is certified in heart math biofeedback and is very passionate about mind-body interventions. I'm delighted uh, for you to be joining us today, Dr. Johnson, and to share about biofeedback and cardiovascular health. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Can you um, kind of start us off by sharing about how chronic stress increases the risk of cardiovascular events? What's the relationship there? Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so I, I've always been interested in the link between stress and heart disease. And, you know, there's a lot of research on the negative effects of stress on heart disease and not just heart disease, many other diseases like, you know, cancer and GI issues and dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, chronic stress increases inflammation in the body. And with chronic stress comes, you know, elevated levels of stress hormones like cortisol and elevated blood pressure and elevated blood sugars, which can contribute to damage, you know, to the artery walls and plaque buildup and eventually development of heart disease over time. So good stress management is really critical for, for a healthy heart. Um, and also, you know, emotions affect the heart. So we know that emotions are not just in the head. You know, they're experienced throughout the body, 
you know, often without conscious awareness and, you know, different emotions affect the heart in different ways. So like, for example, depression can trigger an increased heart rate in cardiac patients. You know, people with depression may also have more uh, sticky blood platelets, which can lead to things like blood clots and also social isolation and feelings of loneliness. You know, people with heart disease who are more, you know, socially isolated have a greater chance of dying than those with a stronger support system. So we know a lot about, you know, the negative emotions and the, and the heart. And, you know, what about the positive emotions? So, you know, positive emotions are cardioprotective. You know, feelings of love and care have been found to lower blood pressure and heart rate. You know, happy individuals have a lower chance of heart attack. And, you know, all of this was really you know, fascinating research to me. I'm, I'm always looking for ways, you know, to support my patients in reducing their stress and, you know, living heart-healthy lives. And, you know, especially right now, I think it's so important, you know, to learn ways to calm the nervous system. You know, there's so much you know, stress and anxiety in our world. And we're like really living in this time where everyone's nervous system is hijacked. And so we've got needed to do some, you know, self-reflection and, you know, learn new and effective ways of handling the stress. Yeah, I really, you know, you're saying that, of course, negative emotions can impact the heart negatively and positive experiences and emotions um, have a positive effect on overall health, including heart function. I remember a while ago reading a study, I did a presentation a few years ago at, um, a keynote actually at the Atlanta VA for women veterans. And it was on um, creating a community of care and a care culture. And, um, mm. and there's a, I thought I read some research on what it does to the heart when we actually give a gift. And then it actually, I think one of the, the studies that I cited in that talk was that it like lowered blood pressure or something. Do you know, is that, consistent yes. with found? Yes. Absolutely. So feelings of appreciation and and gratitude, you know, gratitude, those those positive emotions have, you know, a cardioprotective mechanism that actually lowers blood pressure. And yeah, so when we do those practices like um creating gratitude lists, that's something that, you know, I really encourage my patients to do. You know, come up with, you know, 10 things that you're grateful for. You know, just make a list, 10 things that you're grateful for. And, and they can be small things. They don't have to be, you know, major things. It can be like, okay, today I was able to get my garage door open. Woo! Right. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, small things, little things like that. Um, like creating a gratitude list is a really powerful um, uh, activity to do. Yeah, I'm. Um, we're at a stressful time in our family life. Um, and I find myself like when I take walks with my husband outside and it's a beautiful day, just thinking like, oh, we're so lucky to be going on a walk in the middle of the day when my former life, I wouldn't be able to do this. Like just having a little bit of gratitude for the, a simple thing helps a lot with my own stress lately. When I have my patients do a gratitude list and then I have them check in, you know, how do you feel before writing the gratitude list? And then after you do your, your gratitude list, how do you feel? And usually the patients, you know, they feel, they feel better from creating a list. They, they feel better. So it's like an immediate shift. Mm-hmm. So that's one element of coping with stress that can have benefits for our overall health, including our heart health. And then you're here today to talk specifically about biofeedback and biofeedback as um, a stress management tool and, and preventing um, cardiovascular disease or helping with cardiovascular disease when people have it. Can you, can you start by sharing what biofeedback actually is? calling all mental health providers. Have you been feeling ineffective, stuck, or unsure of how to best help your client with memory loss? 
Well, it's not your fault. Most therapists haven't had any training in addressing memory loss or cognitive changes in therapy. But I got something for you. In my free 10-minute video where I walk you through five steps for helping your clients presenting with memory loss, you'll learn the difference between memory loss and mental health concerns for older adults and how to help. Get this free training and a bonus workbook that you can start using in your clinic today. Simply go to www.mentalhealthandaging.com forward slash clarity to learn more. That's www.mentalhealthandaging.com forward slash clarity, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y. Yes. So, so biofeedback is a technique that you can use to gain greater awareness of your body's own physiology. So it allows you to have a greater understanding uh, of your own body and how things are interacting and to receive feedback about your own body. So your body is um, it's constantly sending you messages, you know, through your breath, through your heartbeat, through your skin temperature, uh, muscle tension, and they're usually subtle and go undetected until they intensify and like really grab your attention. You know, things like a pain or a migraine headache or a stomach ache or an anxiety attack. Like, whoa, okay, I noticed you now. And so biofeedback is a way to understand and, and recognize your body's messages so that you can make changes then to better self-regulate. So with biofeedback, you can um, measure basic physiological functions like, like heart rate and blood pressure and muscle tension, body temperature, uh, respiration rate. And then using technology, you can receive inf- information or, or feedback about the body, which then helps you make subtle changes in your body to then improve your, your well-being and your performance. So you're, you're noticing, you know, what happens to your heart rate when you change your breathing, you know, what happens to your muscles when you learn to relax or, you know, release certain muscle groups, you know, what happens to your skin temperature when you visualize positive mental images. So the goal is really to be able to better self-regulate. So self-regulation is key. And I also think, too, to understand biofeedback, I think it's also helpful to have an understanding of the nervous system. So, um, so our autonomic nervous system, it regulates our stress response. The sympathetic and the parasympathetic branches of the nervous system, they're like the gas pedals and the brakes. So our sympathetic is responsible for speeding everything up, you know, increasing heart rate and blood pressure and breathing rate, it triggers the body's like fight or fight response, fight or flight response. And that provides us with that burst of energy to respond to perceived threats of danger. And then our parasympathetic nervous system, it's a complementary system that slows everything down. It lowers, um, lowers blood pressure, lowers heart rate and breathing rate, and essentially like brings us back to homeostasis. And so with biofeedback, we can learn to monitor our body's signals as they, as they move through, you know, activation of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So just like, like we can go to the gym, right, to strengthen our muscles, we can learn to strengthen our autonomic nervous system with biofeedback training. So we can learn ways to, you know, better self-regulate and can really just to meet the challenges of everyday life when a person is using biofeedback like what equipment is used is are people look hooked up to like heart monitors and eegs or like how does it actually work like what does it look like yeah so so there's lots of different um lots of different tools lots of different biofeedback machines and different methods someone they might be connected um uh, up to equipment that's measuring their heart rate 
or their heart rate variability, which I'll talk about a little bit later. There'll be pulse sensors that pick up sensors, you know, from their from their ear or from their fingers, fingertips. They might use EEG. Um, they might connect them, um, use little sensors connected to their brain to look at different brain waves. That's actually called neurofeedback. Um, they might have a, a mechanism that connects to their breathing, like a little mechanism around their stomach that connects to measure their breathing and their respiration rate. There's lots of different ways to um, to measure measure different physiological um, responses. Before we get into the cardiovascular health, what other sorts of conditions is biofeedback co- commonly used for or shown effective with? Yeah, so there are lots of, uh, there's a number of chronic conditions that um, biofeedback has been proven efficacious for. Um, things like stress and anxiety, uh, chronic pain is a big one, fibromyalgia, high blood pressure, uh, headaches, um, asthma, ADHD, um, PTSD, depression, just to name a few. Wow. Okay. So a lot of groups are doing this from medical to mental health. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So a person is using a biofeedback machine and is it always um, done with a machine or can people do it just by like looking at their own heart rate? Yeah. So in some case, I mean, so you can actually do biofeedback by like, for example, temperature biofeedback, you can actually go on Amazon and get yourself a little thermometer and you can use that to measure your temperature. You can actually do that at home. Um, so it doesn't necessarily always have to, you don't have to always use equipment. There's actually um, a lot of apps now um, that are doing kind of like a biofeedback, like using the um, like camera on your phone. It can pick up different sensors like heart rate and different measures to look at, um, um, you know, different biological markers. So that's really neat. Um, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that moving into the future with, you know, the advancement of technology these days. And, um, <clears throat> and there are also devices that you, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later with um, heart math, which was a type of, which is a type of biofeedback that I use. And there is a personal handheld device it's called an M-Wave that the participants would take home to measure um, heart rate variability. And so it's like a little personal handheld device that they would put their finger over and it would pick up um, you know, heart, heart rate variability um, and it would be able to measure kind of your, your um, biological response to stress in real time um, at home. So biofeedback is used for lots of conditions like stress, chronic pain, high blood pressure, asthma, ADHD, PTSD, just to name a few. People can use their um, own devices that they buy on Amazon or even just doing a temperature check. And then they can use more, um, I guess, technical uh, assisted devices with a professional. So let's move into like biofeedback for cardiovascular health and cardiovascular disease. So how does biofeedback actually help with cardiovascular disease? Yeah. So, um, so we are, we're, we're seeing biofeedback being offered, you know, more often as part of stress management training in, you know, cardiac rehab programs. And, you know, research has shown that um, biofeedback training, you know, helps with treating high blood pressure, which is a major uh, risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And uh, according to you know, the American Heart Association, close to uh, half of all adults in the United States, yes, I said half, suffer from high blood pressure. And, you know, with our aging population and increase in life expectancy, this number is just, you know, expected to continue to go up. And, um, you know, risk factors for high blood pressure include uh, modifiable factors like obesity and uh, dietary factors, smoking, inactivity, stress, and negative mood states like anger and hostility, and um, 
non-modifiable factors, um, things like genetics and age and race with African-Americans being at higher risk and gender with men being more at risk. Um, actually, until women reach menopause, then their rate of high blood pressure goes up, which might be due to, which may be due to the decline in estrogen. So, so basically I say all this to highlight um, the importance of having a comprehensive approach for treating high blood pressure um, that targets both lifestyle changes, medication management, and good stress management. And um, oftentimes, you know, treating high blood pressure is something that we're often doing in cardiac rehab and is a big part of cardiac rehab programs. And, you know, studies have shown that um, heart rate variability biofeedback helps bring balance to the nervous system and lowers blood pressure. And I'll give you a little bit of background on HRV, HRV or heart rate variability background biofeedback, which is also the type of biofeedback that we offered in our cardiac rehab program. So you might be thinking, okay, what, what's heart rate variability or, or HRV? So HRV or heart rate variability is the beat, are the beat to beat variations between heart rate, between heartbeats. And this is different from your heart rate, which is the number of times your heart beats per minute. So HRV measures the time between each heartbeat. So the heart, the heart is a muscle and it's, you know, constantly pumping blood throughout the body and it's continuously, you know, shifting between an acceleration and deacceleration in a kind of like tug of war with the autonomic nervous system, which then creates our, our heart rhythms. And so our heart rate is always changing depending on the activity or, or your emotions. And variability is your heartbeat ability to shift and change. So a healthy heart is a responsive heart. And HRV provides information about the interactions between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Remember those gas pedals and brakes in our body's you know, ability to regulate those systems. So HRV is a good measure of performance of the cardiovascular system and you know, how well your body can handle stress. And it's not something that you, know, you can feel or observe without some kind of technological device. And so that's um, you know, what we're measuring with biofeedback. And another interesting thing about HRV is that so HRV naturally decreases with age. And we also know that a lowered HRV is associated with an overactivation of the nervous system. And it's a predictor of poor health outcomes, like increase, increased risk of high blood pressure. And um, studies from the American Heart Association showed that low HRV is associated with higher risk of death in patients with heart disease. And patients um, have an increased risk of death following a heart attack if their HRV was low compared to individuals with a higher HRV. So then conversely, higher HRV is associated with greater resilience and lower, lower stress. So when there's more balance in the autonomic nervous system, HRV tends to be higher. So our goal in HRV biofeedback training is to raise HRV. And, you know, I've gotten questions from before from patients, you know, asking me, well, you know, don't you want to see a low heart rate variability? But no, you actually want to see higher. So higher HRV means, you know, more resilience, less stress, more adaptability, you know, greater ability to really to shift and change. And, you know, our body our body was built for being activated and you know, for being able to recover. This is a good thing. You know, from an evolutionary perspective, we were wired to be able to spot danger in, in our environment and our nervous system would, would warn us of that danger. You know, like if a, a saber-toothed tiger was lurking in the background, our ancient ancestors, if you know, a tiger was in the background, but then they would kick in a fight or flight response to either run away or fight so that they didn't get eaten by that tiger for lunch. 
you know, and those that didn't have this built-in alarm system, well, they got eaten and their genes didn't get passed on and we're not related to those folks. We are very much wired for survival. Now, but in, you know, modern day life, there are, there's really only a you know, few situations where we need that true fight or flight activation. And, you know, where it becomes a problem is when we get stuck in that activation state, you know, like chronic stress and negative mood states, like, you know, like anxiety and depression and frustration and anger, which have all been correlated with a decrease in heart rate variability. And so HRV training is helping the client, you know, get back to their baseline and improving um, emotional well-being and overall performance. So interesting. So when you're doing biofeedback, you're, you're attending to HRV and trying to increase HRV to create a higher HRV level. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And so you're monitoring yes. HRV, which is the, um, the length of time between beats. The, yes. the variation between each heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. The variation between each heartbeat. Okay. So one, like give an example. So between beats A and B could be a couple of seconds between beats B and C could be more or less between beats C and D could be less or more. Yeah, exactly. It's not like a steady number, right? It's constantly changing depending on what we're doing or, you know, activity we're doing or the emotions that we're feeling constantly changing. Okay. And when people come to see you for biofeedback for cardiovascular health, their HRV may be low and your goal is to increase HRV. Right. Right. Okay. And that's, was it increasing the variability within the HRV or um, it just increasing the HRV overall, like per minute? I'm a little bit confused on that. Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And then, and it's, well, it's interesting. So, in heart math, which is the type of biofeedback intervention that we offered in our in our clinic, they're actually looking at a um, something that's called coherence. And I, I can talk about that too a little bit more when I you know talk about you know what the patient experiences when they come in for biofeedback treatment. But coherence is a measure that we're looking at that is measured by heart rate variability and can actually be visualized um, on a graph. And so we're actually looking at like graph output. Oh, cool. Okay. So what, what does a person, so say a person is like, yes, sign me up, sign me up for uh, Mm -hmm. biofeedback for cardiovascular health with Dr. Johnson. So what would they expect? Like, how does it all work? Yeah. So, okay. So a client is coming in for biofeedback for the first time. So, um, so during the first session, you know, we would, we would talk about, you know, presenting issues. What's the reason this person is coming in to see me? You know, what are their goals for treatment? You know, what barriers are getting in the way of them, you know, achieving their goals? Uh, We assess, you know, previous coping strategies, what's worked for them, what hasn't worked. You know, we do a clinical intake with, psychosocial history, you know, rule out any you know, serious mental health conditions that might interfere with their you know, progress and treatment. And then after we've done, you know, an, an overall intake session. Um, so, so just to back up a little bit. So, like I said, so we use HeartMath in our clinic, which is a HRV biofeedback training program. And one thing that we emphasize in this program is that it's not relaxation training. So the primary objective is to help the client learn tools to better self-regulate and um, to sustain better composure and balance as they face, you know, everyday challenges. So, you know, I'll say to them things like, you know, you likely experienced a time when you felt like you didn't have much energy and, you know, you may have even said phrases like I'm running low on fumes or I'm drained. And I have them, you know, think about a time that they felt this way and how it affected them and those around them. So, you know, when your energy is low, it can be difficult to think clearly and perform tasks and to bounce back. 
you know, which are all good indications that your resilience is low. And in heart math, we use the analogy of an inner battery. So when, when you have a high level of resilience or a fully charged battery, you have greater capacity to remain calm, to think more clearly, and you know, to be more in control of your emotions so that you don't overreact. And when your inner battery is low, like when your cell phone battery is low, there is an energy to draw from when you need it. And it's difficult you know, to be your best during stressful or challenging situations or, or really even during everyday situations. So the key is learning how you spend and renew your energy. And we spend time you know, getting familiar with, with their particular energy draining and energy gaining situations. And then I do a biofeedback assessment and I get uh, baseline measures and I record heart rhythms and heart rate variability where I can actually get, you know, real time feedback about the person's physiology. And then I teach the biofeedback practices and, um, you know, in heart math, we're, we're also looking at a measure called coherence. So coherence, is, it's a natural state and can occur, you know, spontaneously when we're doing something that we enjoy or we're doing something uh, where we feel positive. You know, there's times when we feel like things are just like in sync and, and flowing with ease. You know, when we're in this state, you know, things can come up that would usually get under our skin, but they seem to just kind of roll off our back. So that's, that's what coherence is all about, you know, when the mind, when the heart, when the emotions and the body, when they're all you know, working together in sync. And it's not the same thing as being in a relaxed state, but rather what, you know, athletes call like being in the zone, right? Mm -hmm. and, we, and during that time is when we feel, when we feel inspired or have a deep sense of connectedness, not just to ourselves, but to others and to even life itself. And, and that's what coherence is. And coherence is measured by heart rate variability and can be you know, visualized as a, as a person's um, heart rhythm becoming more synchronized and ordered on a graph. So imagine like smooth and harmonious waves on a graph. So a smoother heart rhythm pattern would indicate you know, more balance within the nervous system and a more like, balanced emotional state. And so positive emotions, like feelings of love and appreciation, they generate a smoother heart rhythm. And irregular or, or jagged heart rhythm patterns indicate less synchronized nervous system and a more stressed emotional state. So like negative emotions like anger or anxiety cause the heart rhythm to become more chaotic. And so heart math analyzes the, the smoothness or the, or the jaggedness of the heart rhythm and then assigns it a score. And as clients improve their score, they increase their level of coherence. So using the heart math training program, we can objectively monitor heart rhythm patterns and actually confirm when one is in a coherent state. And with practice of tools, the client can learn, you know, how to shift into coherence, you know, with the goal that eventually they'll be able to use those tools in real life during challenging situations that would have, you know, previously caused them stress and, and drained their energy. Okay. A minute ago, you said, uh, you know, as part of your clinical assessment and your biofeedback assessment, you assess for contraindications for biofeedback, like some some maybe severe mental health conditions. What are contraindications for biofeedback? Yeah, so, well, um, and, and what I meant by that, so in, in terms of the things that we were assessing for that would um, be contraindications are things like, you know, severe mental illness that hadn't been, that had not been treated yet. Like we would want to refer them to see, um, a mental health specialist or talk to a psychiatrist, you know, about or get them um, connected to mental health treatment, you know, before starting the biofeedback. Or if the patient had, um, 
suicidality, you would want to treat that before um, doing the biofeedback treatment. Um, there really are very few, you know, contraindications to doing biofeedback. It's it's a very safe um, intervention, very safe, very effective, evidence-based um, intervention. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was wondering is, um, this is even before the assessment, but as you were talking, I was thinking after I had my second child, I had, I was an older pregnancy. And so there's higher risk for complications and higher risk for, um, postpartum preeclampsia, which is like high blood pressure after having a baby. And I had, um, blood pressure spikes after I had a baby, it went away. Like it was, I'm fine. Mm. Um, but I remember like when my blood pressure was super high, I had to be readmitted into the hospital. So I was discharged home. I started to have, um, high, high blood pressure spikes and that would just stay persistent. I remember I went to the pharmacy up the street from my house because I didn't have a blood pressure cuff at home, but I was like super agitated. I was, um, oh, like, uh, I remember it, it wasn't, I didn't have shortness of breath, but I was just like, uh, like, it, uh, it just felt so chemically, like I wasn't right. And so I went up the street to the pharmacist. I got a blood pressure, um, check it was super high. The pharmacist was like, well, let me check myself, you know, and I had just had a baby. I had a C-section. So there was more to the medical picture. Um, so mm. the pharmacist checked herself and it was normal because she thought, well, maybe the, the cuff is broken. And then she got another cuff, like off the shelf, brand new one and tested it on her first. And it was, she had a normal reading like 120 over 80. And, and then we tested mine and it was super high, like super, super high. And so, um, then I bought a blood pressure monitor I went home and called the doctor and we had to go back in. But I remember the experience of, um, feeling like, feeling like, uh, super agitated. And like, that was, uh, I was on edge. I was agitated. I was, and I wondered if that was due to the like elevated blood pressure itself that I was having all these negative feelings. And when my blood pressure was regulated, I didn't have as much of that. Like, do you notice there's a physiological, uh, like how much, I guess the question is how much does blood pressure actually influence emotion and a uh, sort of uh, emotional state? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I, w- I would imagine too that, you know, postpartum, you were just probably going through so much stress. <laughs> you know, it's such a stressful time and you're probably, you know, the, you were probably under a lot of stress. And then on top of it, having high blood pressure and then worrying about, you know, getting your blood pressure down is probably a very stressful time in general. But yeah, no, I, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, well, being in that like constant, like chronic, like fight or flight, you know, stress, you know, co- being in that constant, you know, fight or flight, right, increasing your blood pressure, and then feeling the physiological effects of having high blood pressure, right? then increases more of that fight or flight. So it's yeah. like you're kind of stuck in this like um, like cycle of chronic stress. So that is right. a really interesting question. I don't know the answer to that, but um, like I said, I would imagine there is just, you're kind of stuck in this chronic um, cycle of stress. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the blood pressure, you know, needed to get regulated. <laughs> so um, and monitored. Yeah. That, it was so interesting. Um, because after my first child, I didn't have any of that. And I was a, you know, I was also, I was an older pregnancy that serves higher risk for complications like that. But, um, I just remember that experience helped me to develop so much more empathy for people I know who are living with high blood pressure and just, it felt very physiological. It didn't feel like any type of stress I had had before. It felt like, like my, I could feel just energy rising. It was just so intense. And, um, and I just, I, I don't love that I had that experience, but I appreciate that I now have more compassion and empathy for people who are, are living with high blood pressure and just this intensity. And then that, that stress 
loop or that stress cycle, it kind of feeds on the, um, you know, I, my, my parasympathetic system was, was not functioning well, well enough to manage that, all of that, but, um, yeah, it just helped me build so much more empathy. Do you, do you want to try an exercise? You, I'll, I'll teach you an exercise called heart focused breathing. Um, that's used to help clients take the charge out of a stress rate reaction and to shift into a more coherent state. Yes, I would love that. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. And I also encourage listeners to try this too. So, um, so yeah, so let's start. So adjust yourself if you need to, you know, find finding a comfortable, you know, seated position. You know, if you need to readjust yourself, it can be helpful to have, um, you know, your feet flat on the floor if you're sitting in a chair, your hands resting in your lap. And so the, the first step is focusing your attention on the area of your heart. So just you know, gently focusing on your heart area. And beginning to breathe deeply in the center of your chest, right in the area of your heart. And if you like, you can put your hand over your heart if that helps you connect. And continuing to focus on your heart area, imagining that your breath is flowing in and out to your heart area with ease. Breathing slowly and gently in through your heart, maybe a count of five or six, and breathing slowly and easily out through your heart to another count of five or six. continuing to breathe this way until your breathing feels smooth and balanced, but not forced. And as you continue to breathe with ease for a few moments, you're finding a natural inner rhythm that feels good for you. Okay. What what was that like for you? Uh, it was I know it's not supposed to be relaxing, but it was very relaxing. <laughs> I know biofeedback mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. relaxation training; it's uh, self regulation. Uh, it was it was mm-hmm. self regulating. Yeah, I was more attuned to uh, the noises in my environment. Um, so mm-hmm. just more aware, I would say, um, mm-hmm. I feel calmer. Yeah. I know, uh, like as I was talking about my own sort of high blood pressure after uh, birth and surgery, um, I, I could feel my body rising as I was talking about it, or my, my blood pressure rising or my energy level rising. And then after doing this, um, exercise, I feel calmer. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do other people tend to experience when you do that? Yes. So, um, so yeah, I was actually interesting because I was, I was just teaching this practice the other day to, um, to a patient. And one of the things he said was he was surprised how, um, how quick it worked, you know, how quickly he was able to, to make that shift and, what I really, what I think is, you know, this, it's not something, these exercises are not things that you have to spend all day practicing. You know, it can be done, you know, in a matter of a minute, you know, or longer. And, you know, it's a very simple tool that I think yields very powerful results. Um, 
to really help, you know, take the charge out of the stress reaction. And uh, other, you know, clients have said that they, you know, feel more uplifted or more energetic or, or calm or relaxed. You know, the, um, we're not, you know, teaching, excuse me, not relaxation training, but that doesn't mean that they don't necessarily, they won't feel relaxed. Um, or also a deeper kind of heart connection that, that comes up too. You know, the heart is like the center of emotion and, and people who focus on their heart area will sometimes say that they feel a deeper heart connection or deeper emotional connection with themselves or, or, or with other people. Yeah, that I, I actually was so, experiencing that. Um, I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. And it, as I was doing this exercise, I was reminded of um, one day I was driving. I have to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this, that we do this exercise so people don't do it while they're driving. Because um, I was driving and listening to an NPR segment. Maybe it was like an um, Invisibilia or some kind of cool NPR program. And um, and they were playing sounds of heartbeats. And they gave a disclaimer at, at the beginning of, um, of the show. that, And the disclaimer said, like, don't drive or be careful if you drive listening to these heartbeats. And I was like, oh, I'll be fine. I have such mind control. Da, 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 da. <laughs> right. And I was listening to these heartbeats. And, and I don't know what today is about me in pregnancy. I was pregnant at the time with my first child. And I was listening to these heartbeats driving. My husband was in the passenger seat and I was in the driver's seat. And I ran a red light. And I was like, so, um, so like moved by the heartbeat sounds that I was mm-hmm. like in, in a, I don't know, I was in another world. And, and so I have to remember to put a disclaimer on this one, but how powerful. And when my kids now are four and six, and what we do sometimes in my family is we'll listen to each other's heartbeats. And when I listen to my kids' heartbeats, I almost like want to cry because it's so, mm-hmm. uh, it feels so deeply moving. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm to your point about this deeper heart connection. Like the first time you hear, um, the heartbeat in utero, it's Mm -hmm. such a powerful moment. And I'm also thinking too, that, so I have a six month old and we use a sound machine at night. And one of the, um, one of the sounds is a heartbeat. And, um, that's the one we always go to because he, he was sleeping in our, in our room up until he was, you know, three or four months. And we would always put that heartbeat sound on and, um, yeah, it's, it's so powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing that exercise with us. I'm so curious if this will engender other, you know, the listeners to think of what, or maybe I would encourage the listener to think of like what came up for them and, and their own d- deeper heart connection, or if they're not driving or, or please be cautious if you are driving, um, just, you know, what their experience was of this. I'd be so curious to hear about that. Um, okay. So, so you've shared a bit about biofeedback and you've done this exercise with us, which was really um, enlightening. So how does biofeedback Actually, how is it used in conjunction with psychotherapy? Yeah, yeah, great question. So, um, so, so in my in my experience, <clears throat> biofeedback has been a a really powerful tool that I've been able to offer my patients. You know, we're we're really living in this time where we crave immediate results and objective data, and you know, biofeedback is a really powerful tool that can provide that and you know some clients can be um uh can, can be hard to engage them in traditional therapy and you know biofeedback that's interesting and engaging and might be able to increase the client's you know willingness to participate in therapy and biofeedback you know may be a more acceptable form of treatment for some clients and i think can be a really great place to start for treatment. And when I, when I worked in cardiac rehab, you know, I would often get referrals for biofeedback training for patients with symptoms of anxiety and chronic high blood pressure. You know, my patients would often say they wanted to get rid of their anxiety 
or have better control of their anxiety. A client or a client that experienced a, a heart attack, they might experience anxiety about having another heart attack or overexerting themselves into having another heart attack. You know, they might be too afraid to exercise and yeah. avoid activity altogether and then lose their confidence in their ability to function in their careers or with their families, you know, leading to more inactivity and and more anxiety. And there would just be like so much anxiety present. And so, you know, how do we stay within our bodies and in, in, in our experience when there is unpleasantness there, you know, and, and everything is saying like, I don't want to be here in my own body. So I might ask a patient, you know, when anxiety is showing up, what does that feel like in your body? You know, our body holds on to our stress and our trauma and, you know, just out of interest, like start checking in. What does it feel like in your body? Where, where are you resisting? And they may notice tension in their neck or their jaw or tightness in their chest or, or rapid breathing or over-breathing. You know, biofeedback can help clients, um, can help clients recognize when they're engaging in things that activate their stress response, when they're not in that coherent state. And then we can use tools to shift back into coherence and, you know, kick in that parasympathetic response. You know, when, when there's discomfort, um, when there's a discomfort, there's like this tensing against the discomfort and, you know, thoughts about trying to get rid of the discomfort. You know, this doesn't feel good. So I, I must be in danger. And so, you know, with practice, the you know, patients will start sensing like the different layers of resistance, like they'll see the resistance, you know, in real time through the biofeedback and they'll see how, how it, you know, flavors their experience, but it's not actually what's happening. So, you know, uh, you know, okay, I'm not having another heart attack. This is my body feeling anxious. You know, this is my body trying to energize me. And there's, there's this very um, useful equation that we use in therapy that suffering equals pain times resistance or suffering equals pain times worry. So suffering is caused by like resisting the pain. So what we resist persists. And um, with biofeedback, patients learn how to recognize and, and bring awareness to their physiological reactions, like the body's natural tendency to resist resist things that feel uncomfortable and and they might also recognize what's getting in the way so things like you know judgment and critical thoughts and ruminating thoughts like attempts to control their situation so you know patients learn to uh, disengage from from unhelpful thinking patterns you know like I'm never going to get better to then create space for more skillful thinking and action. So instead of engaging in attempts to control the situation or going down that rabbit hole of self-defeating thoughts, like I can't do anything, I feel so useless, they can use more skillful actions like engaging in biofeedback breathing skills, like engaging in heart-focused breathing to restore that balance to the nervous system and, and then help them you know, connect to their goals and what really matters to them, like their intentions to take better care of themselves. So, you know, I might not be able to do things exactly like I used to, but I can take small steps to engage in activities and follow the advice from my cardiac rehab team. So I, I really see it as a, like a really nice complement to cognitive behavioral approaches or m mindfulness-based therapy. You know, what really happens to your physiology when you change your thinking or when you let go of negative thoughts. And so patients can get that real-time feedback and it makes it easier to make those changes when you're getting that feedback. Wow, you have just laid down. There are so many uh, things that I want to follow up on here. Um, 
One is that you talked about this can be a helpful starting place for psychotherapy, especially I'm thinking about the high levels of stigma and gate for uh, older adults to engage in mental health, um, high -hmm. levels of stigma for men to engage in mental health. Right. So if, um, and if this is, uh, a sort of bridge and a tool that can help to reduce some of that stigma and create some, a measurable, uh, action oriented, improve health and well-being, right. And heart health. Um, a lot of older adults, actually, if they are receiving any mental health care are receiving it in the context of medical care or primary care. And so I think this is a great bridge, especially, um, for groups that are historically left out of mental health care. And especially if, um, African-American folks are at a higher risk and, um, and with histories of mistrust, right. This also might be a helpful bridge, um, because of the objectivity. Mm-hmm. I, I also was thinking back to these equations. So you said, um, there's an equation that you use suffering equals pain times resistance or pain times worry. Can you break that down a little bit more for us? Like give us an example. Yeah. So, um, okay. So in the equation, so pain, so pain is the actual, like actual normal pain, like, you know, chronic back pain or depression, like the normal pain of life. And resistance is the mental anguish caused by trying to resist that pain. So the equation helps us learn to distinguish between the normal pain of life, right? Like the physical discomfort or difficult emotions, and then an actual suffering, the mental anguish caused by trying to to fight against, basically the caused by fighting against the fact that life is sometimes painful. So, um, so yeah, so, so the chronic, so, so let's say pain, the actual pain is, you know, chron- let's chronic back pain, right? So you have chronic back pain that you're, that you're experiencing. And then the resistance is the worry thought about that pain. So the worry thought like, um, you know, I'm never going to be able to be the same again, or I can't, you know, spend time with my grandchildren anymore. And all of those worry thoughts that, that are, you know, around the pain that's causing the pain to be more significant than it actually is. Yeah, that's so helpful. I, and then, and then you're, it sounds like you're saying that the intervention point with that equation, the suffering equals pain times resistance is in reshaping our relationship to that resistance and to that anguish. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I think you said what, what we resist persists. And mm-hmm. so is that right? Am right. I understanding that right? Yeah, yeah. So recognizing, you know, where the resistance is showing up, you know, and, and how it's like flavoring our experience, but it's actually different than, it's not the same as our actual experience. So the ways that, you know, certain things are creating more suffering in, in your life um, than the act. Life is already tough enough, Right. And so all the ways that, you know, the resistance is creating more suffering in in your life. Yeah. Powerful. So now say that there are therapists or other, other health professionals who want to refer clients or loved ones to a program that's using biofeedback for cardiovascular health. How would they go about finding a program like yours or what would their approach be? Like, I guess it's a two-part question. How would they discuss this with their patient? And then how would they help their patient find a biofeedback for cardiovascular health provider? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, um, so when talking about biofeedback with, 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 a, with a patient um, with cardiovascular disease, I would, I would first really want to validate, you know, how, difficult it can be living with heart disease. You know, it can be really difficult living with heart disease. You know, when you're living with a chronic heart condition, you you may feel stress or feelings of anger or sadness. You know, your sleep may be off or you may have noticed 
um, more issues in your relationship. And when I start to talk about, you know, all the ways that heart disease could potentially negatively affect a person, they're usually pretty on board and, and able to relate with their own experiences. And so then I'll, you know, kind of segue into, you know, when the body is stressed, you know, that puts more tension on your body and, you know, can increase your heart rate and your blood pressure, which is not healthy for the heart. And so learning, you know, good stress management interventions can help your heart and, you know, also help you learn ways to cope with the problems that may, may be associated with living with a chronic heart condition. And so with bio and, and with biofeedback, we can learn how your body reacts to different kinds of stressors and you know, figure out different ways to decrease your stress and learn tools to create you know, more balance um, in your, within your, your, your nervous system and increase more positive emotions so that you can live more heart healthy. And usually folks, you know, you were saying earlier, usually folks are pretty interested, like in this type of um, modality, like this is something new and it's interesting. And um, usually folks are usually pretty interested in trying biofeedback. And so if, um, uh, you know, someone is interested or, or wanting to refer their patient for biofeedback, um, a really great place to start is uh, uh, bcia.org which is the Biofeedback uh, Certification International Alliance, which is, uh, it has a lot of great information about biofeedback. And you can also search for a certified biofeedback practitioner in your area. So that's a really great place to start. Um, also, if you work in the VA um, and your facility has a whole health program, you'll ask if they offer heart math or any other types of biofeedback programs. A lot of VAs now are offering heart masks and other forms of biofeedback um, in their facilities now. So that's a really exciting and great thing. Well, those are great resources. So bcia.org, like Bravo, Charlie, Indigo, Alpha.org? Yes. Okay. And I'll link to that in the show notes. And then also some health um, medical centers like the VA healthcare system, each VA uh, healthcare system or VA hospital or medical center has their own sort of uh, range of programs. So you can check in to see if your local VA offers whole health or biofeedback or alternative health programs. Is this considered alternative health? Yeah. So, so yes, uh, CAM, complementary and alternative medicine. Yeah. Oh, great. Thanks. Complimentary and alternative medicine. And um, so you can check with your medical center to see if they offer any, any programs like this. That's great. Well, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us all of your knowledge about biofeedback and heart health and overall mental health. I, uh, I hope this helps a lot of people in the community to get started, you know, improving their heart health and living a great quality of life or optimal quality of life. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and, and for giving me this opportunity to talk about biofeedback. I, I love talking about this topic and ways to live heart healthy. And, you know, biofeedback is such a powerful tool to use and it's easy to use. It's safe. It's effective. It's evidence-based. You know, it's used to improve quality of life for, for people of all walks of life to help them find more balance and peace. And you know, that's something that we all need right now. So thank you so much for having me. That's all for today. Just a reminder, if you're a licensed mental health provider looking for continuing education focused on mental health and aging, simply go to mentalhealthandaging.com to learn more about how to earn your CEUs. Calling all mental health providers, have you been feeling ineffective, stuck, or unsure of how to best help your client with memory loss? Well, it's not your fault. Most therapists haven't had any training in addressing memory loss or cognitive changes in therapy. But I got something for you. In my free 10-minute video where I walk you through five steps for helping your clients presenting with memory loss, 
You'll learn the difference between memory loss and mental health concerns for older adults and how to help. Get this free training and a bonus workbook that you can start using in your clinic today. Simply go to www.mentalhealthandaging.com forward slash clarity to learn more. That's www.mentalhealthandaging.com forward slash clarity. C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.